0: Well, hello! Uh, welcome again to another episode of this, as yet to be named podcast. I think Michael and Andy are hoping for one particular name to be uh, to come out, uh, but we're still waiting on that. Those piles of letters to come in uh, from our millions of fans to uh, confirm with us what the best name is, what kind of podcast or. Three men in a boat, it was wasn't it the other one? not three men in three men in a movie. podcast, so the podcast of course yeah, three men and... it's always good when you're introducing a podcast not only to show uncertainty about the name, but even to get the uncertain would be names wrong. This just a great. That's yeah. that, I think we if we like to look at the best ways to do to do a podcast. We clearly we've got we've hit the right track, oh, yeah. haven't we? Not having a name, you, Aaron. You, you have
1: definitely missed a career in marketing and public relations. I and mean, just think well, you a natural.
0: Exactly, I'm wasting my life there. Yeah, and you've just broken protocol by talking before you've been introduced. But you know, that's, <sighs> we're just we're just blowing open the whole podcast genre, aren't we? Um, we so are anyway. <laughs> We've got, so I've got, I'm Aaron Edwards. In case you didn't hear our first wonderful episode, um, uh, I'm a lecturer in theology at Cliff College. And we've got Michael Otts, evangelist extraordinaire, um, who's often in another country, presumably within COVID restrictions, but I'll let him uh, answer whether that is in fact the case or not. And then we've got Andy Bannister, who's also an evangelist extraordinaire and the uh, heads up Solas uh, Ministry of. What's the subtitle of Solas, Andy? Are we supposed to be mentioning Solas?
1: No, you can. I suppose you can. Um, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, we used to be the Solas Centre for Public Christianity, which, which is a horrendous mouthful. And uh, and then I think as we've refocused in the last few years, especially on on evangelism and less away from kind of sort of politics and other kind of things, we thought the Centre wow. for Public Christianity thing was a bit sort of uh, extraneous. So we tend to just be just be Solas or Solas or however I pronounce it no. out here. Somebody comes up to me and says. <laughs> The English people can't say Gallic right. Doesn't no matter how I know, <laughs> uh, somebody tells me that it's wrong. So I say Solas. Excellent. Solas
0: consola. Michael, your what's yours called?
2: Uh, my ministry. Um, yeah. it, it's it's me. It's Michael. <laughs> I um yeah. So I I, well, I'm, I guess technically I'm freelance. I uh, I'm part of the Association of Evangelists though, uh, which is a, a group of itinerant evangelists based around the UK. Um, and um, I'm also on the European board of, of IFES. So, my main ministry is with students. So, uh, hmm. in terms of what I actually do, um, it's supporting Christian unions uh, in the UK and other parts of Europe.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, often when we end up talking to you, you are on a phone like in Portugal or somewhere else exotic. Yeah, we did have a lovely conversation. In fact, I'm now feeling kind of jealous of myself and wishing that
2: I was you know, <laughs> sitting in that sunlit cafe that I was in November when we had that conversation.
0: Do you know, I think you may have invented. I remember there's an Eddie Izzard uh, sketch many years ago about an original sin, and you may yeah. have invented which is self jealousy an original sin, self yeah. coveting, something that it you yourself. Be, have. I think Eddie comes up
1: with poking badgers with a stick. That's is, it, poking
0: yeah. badgers with spoons. Yeah,
1: with spoons or something is uh, original sin,
0: but uh, but there we are. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 So anyway, well, I guess we better talk about something uh, in this podcast that yeah. doesn't have a name, but it is supposed to be, you know. Loosely based on church, Christianity and the, and the culture at large. Um, and today we're going to be speaking about uh, the, the nature of uh, the relationship between the church and the state. This is similar to what we were speaking about last time when we talked about what is the church. There are many questions that have come up in the last year in everything that 2020 was and everything following from it and uh, all the rest of it. Um, that has brought out this this issue in a in a way that people have had to think about it for the first time. So what kind of authority does the state have over the church and should the state have over the church? And what kind of um, role does the church have in challenging the state or saying no to the state or indeed following the state in, in what it chooses to say and do? Again, this is something many Christians haven't had to think about for a while um, in in, our, in the Western context, at least and now are having to for various reasons mm. which we can get into so i wonder if um andy do you want to uh, kick us off seeing as you've got the best radio voice amongst us all clearly you've got a kind of exactly. specially trained radio voice i think so um i think uh, if you want to kick us off just any kind of opening reflections on this issue of church and state
1: yeah well it's interesting i mean i i have to say that's very kind of you to say i've got a perfect radio voice i've certainly people might often say that i've got the perfect face for radio and, <laughs> um, but it Really sadly is true it's also you're um,
0: also really good at name dropping as well as you know as we know so that's i'm just hoping there's gonna be a few of those dropped in as well
1: yes although actually i have to say as, as a total random aside that the, the best name drop i i ever came across in my entire life was um back in the late 1990s i uh was uh, i ran a small uh, kind of schools work charity down in south uh, southeast london and i had uh, done an assembly at a, a fairly imminent uh, fairly eminent um fee-paying school and uh, it was a great privilege to go speak to a thousand kind of young people. And afterwards, the, the, the headmaster uh, gave me coffee in his uh, study. He was a very nice chap and he was chatting away. And he was a terrible, Colin was a terrible name dropper. And at one point, I think I drank two cups of coffee. So I said, oh, I couldn't possibly, you know, use the lavatory, could I? And he went, oh, I've got my, my own one, just, you know, en suite, do use that one. So I went and, and used it, came back. And then as I came back into his study, he said, do you know, the last person to use that, uh, that, uh, that, that, that uh, lavatory, Andy, that was uh, Tony Blair. Tony Blair asked you about lavatory. I thought that's great. I had, I have my 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 bottom has graced the same porcelain, prime <laughs> um, minister. So my name dropping is nothing by by, by comparison. That is too bad. Um, anyway, let's move rapidly on to more serious <laughs> things than um, the bottoms of prime. Well, state. hey, that is
0: Tony Blair. That's a person of the state, so it's kind of vaguely related.
1: Yes, there is a connection. Thank you. Exactly. You'd make a great youth worker because in youth ministry, I remember the challenge is always what two random things can you connect to make a five minute assembly talk? Um, <laughs> right. and so said, "Well, let me start by by exploring this line and then see what others think. You know, I think for me, one of the troubling things um, in lockdown has been obviously when the pandemic broke and everyone's very terrified, oh, what's going on? We don't understand COVID, like we shut everything down. And the, ch- the state gets it into its head that it needs to close churches down. And I can understand the kind of public health piece and the panic there, but, The fact that churches went along with that so readily, for me, created a rather dangerous precedent. And here in the UK, you know, our law is based on on precedents and previous cases. So we have now allowed a case to be created where whenever the state gets into its head that it's not a good idea for churches to meet, all they have to do is go, you can't meet. And the churches go, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Whereas I do wonder whether the right response might have been to go, no, you have absolutely no authority over whether we can or come in. absolutely you have authority over some things i mean fire regulations making sure our buildings are, are in good order not going to hurt people that's fine because because even if the church even if the state says you've got to close the church while you fix that roof it's dangerous we can all go meet in the car park mm. when the state actually said you cannot meet any shape or form i think the church's response personally should have been go jump <laughs> politely mm. um but we will certainly sit down with you and talk about doing the right thing for our neighbor. And it yeah. probably was the right thing to do to shut down or restrict what we did, but we mm. should have done that voluntarily yeah. and out of love for neighbor, not because the state was telling us this is what you should do. Mm. Because, boy, I think if we set a precedent now for, uh, for okay, the church is now subservient to the state. And mm. I think mm. that is a very dangerous road. To Mm. go down, and they will come back and bite us on our bottom, even if our bottom has graced the same portion.
0: (laughs) Indeed, Um, that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. And there's, it's the precedent is the issue, isn't it? There's always the arguments back and forth, love of neighbour, and all these things which are clearly important. But it's the way in which um, I think people who asked questions of it were seen as not loving their neighbour. It was almost a blanket. It's a Christian thing to obey the authorities, and therefore. Um, we must just do it, um, and regardless of whether we may have some questions about it, and there's, al- there's almost a kind of stigma, wasn't there, about um, yeah, about whether you question those decisions or whether you question the the way the government has has mm. decided to to view the church as not an essential item, as it were. Uh, uh, Michael, anything else to add off the back of that? Yeah. Whether they're related or not.
2: Tony, well, I was I was just about to name another former British Prime Minister. Actually, I was going to mention Theresa May because she actually right. had a very helpful speech in Parliament where she made the point you know, even if the government is doing this for the most benign motives, you know, we're, you know, I know there are people who kind of see everything as, you know, malignant, but actually, even if we assume that they're doing it for the best of possible motives, it sets a precedent that a government in the future with less than honorable motives mm. could then use in a very negative way. And I thought that was quite a helpful point that you know people are debating, you know, was this the church being deliberately kind of um you know persecuted? you know some people are saying, you know this is persecution and the you know governments are against us. And in a sense, it doesn't really matter whether it is or it not The question is, is that precedent that now it's been set? one that can be used even if it was for good motives for for bad ones in the future so I think yeah you're absolutely right it's a kind of question of not saying you know churches should have just gone kind of all John MacArthur and let's just you know not have any restrictions but Mm -hmm. but actually being told you cannot meet rather than okay let's work with you on how we can do this safely Mm -hmm. and I think it's interesting actually that you know obviously certainly sadly not in Scotland but but here in England you know even though we're currently in lockdown, churches can meet, And I think partly that was because churches really did make that point quite strongly. Mm-hmm. And that got through, um, I mm-hmm. think, the government in a way that was quite clear. I think another thing that came through was actually, um, basically, it is such a big thing to basically say to churches you can't meet. I mean, like, it's an the front mm-hmm. of religious freedom. You've got to have some pretty strong evidence
0: yeah. to
2: kind of do that. And I think what they realised is that we don't have any, like, yeah. you know, every kind of sighting of like why churches were dangerous were like you know mass churches in korea or or america or stuff like that it wasn't you know the kind of restrictions that churches had embraced to try and make themselves safe were such that there was no evidence of any outbreaks as a result of church within that kind of you know restricted Mm. gathering so i think that was quite significant and yeah i'm thankful that obviously that did um lead to a change
1: in outcomes certainly here
0: Yeah, that's right. Just, so you are in. I think that's
1: what Michael said there um, just it was interesting. Mention Mike. Mike, we mentioned early on persecution, mm-hmm. and you were absolutely right. I, I did get nervous about some Christians sort of suggesting that what we're experiencing. Mm. kind of here in the in the uk is persecution it, it clearly isn't i mean that's like that's just nonsense on stilts um to coin a phrase or borrow someone else's um but the persecution thing i've been thinking about that for the past few weeks and, and i found myself thinking you know that's the, what there is a persecution connection but we've got it the wrong way around the way around is right now in in well for a long time in places like say china north korea and burma and some of those countries many middle eastern countries muslim majority countries the church is demonstrably persecuted mm. and the state say you can't meet and mm. to go if we're not careful here in the west we have lost moral power for speaking to those situations because right now china can say well actually of course we can tell the church not to meet and you christians in the west have all agreed the government can do that we just disagree over the over the criteria but we all agreed right that, that the state can tell the church what to do and then, of course, you could even take it a, t- a tad further and go here in this country. You know, I've talked to Christians who said, well, we, we mustn't go to church right now, even if we can, because it's not safe. Mm-hmm. Well, in China, it's not freaking safe to go to church because mm-hmm. you go to church, particularly if you're in one of the underground churches, not the official ones. You're going to get arrested. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's pretty darn unsafe. And so we've mm-hmm. in this bizarre position where how what authority have we got to be and and what you know sort of grounds have we got to be supporting the work of things like barnabas fund or open doors and so forth because actually shouldn't we just be saying to churches in in china and burn whatever to christians they go no no don't meet just all meet on zoom you don't need to meet in person just meet on zoom Mm -hmm. um they think we're bonkers Mm -hmm. and so i think we've lost huge amounts of authority in how we speak into those situations where people are truly being persecuted Mm and that that really makes me sad
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point, Andy. I think it links into some of the issues we've seen um, historically in the history of the church. There have been obviously various <coughs> manifestations of this issue uh, and it's really that we haven't had to deal with it as, as much in recent years in in some parts of the West, not, not all parts by all means, but uh, we, we've all, almost gotten soft and used to the fact that we've had certain privileges as the church and we're used to praying for and sending money everywhere else around the world where the where the battle is harder um, for persecution, which certainly it is in, in relation to state control. But there's also sort of historical mm. precedents, I think, lead to this. So we think of uh, the Reformation, for example, and Martin Luther's mm. um, doctrine of the two kingdoms, where there's a, a separation between uh, the church's domain and the state's domain. And actually Luther was quite strong on trying to... Um, up the power of the state because the because it was dealing with a, a situation where the church was all powerful and beyond mm-hmm. accountability, able to do loads of horrendous things. And Luther, mm-hmm. in challenging the church, wanted to actually emphasise the biblical precedence of the state being a a separate domain. But then you you fast forward, you know, several centuries later, and you've got Nazi Germany. Lutheranism has taken hold. Um, at large in Germany. And all these Lutheran pastors are going, right, well, Luther told us we've got to obey the state and we've got to kind of allow it to do what it's doing because it's one of God's you know, servants and they just happen to be the Nazis and they just happen to want to put swastikas up in the church and tell us what we can and can't preach on. And far too many Lutheran churches clearly famously did toe that line and they believed they were being faithful Lutherans for doing so. Um, so we often transplant a kind of contextual um, situation and we treat it as a new kind of law for all time. So that's why you get the situations where no one questions anything because they think, oh, it's it's obviously unchristian to challenge anything that the state does. But clearly mm. that's not the case. There's so many examples of it. I and mean, I think I was even reading Hebrews 11 with my children recently. We're going through each of the um, figures in the Old Testament that are that, that mentioned. When it gets to Moses, it talks about Moses' um, parents hiding him, obviously, um, because they were not afraid of the king's edict, so they weren't afraid that they, they were literally disobeying the authorities. They think we're going to kill all of the Hebrew babies. Um, well, no, you're not going to do that. But if you, what if you took a good Christian Romans thirteen approach? That well, you have to obey the authorities because God told us to. So let's kill Moses. Um, it seemed there's, there's things where there's a, a too simplistic a view. I think in in how we approach these things. Any kind of thoughts about that, about how we often take those precedents and apply them wrongly or perhaps too simplistically? Yeah.
1: Hmm. Well I've got some but I spoke a, a bit before no, no, Michael, go for do it. you want
0: to chip go for it, Andy and
1: say what I think. I think there's a couple of things I'd say here, Aaron. It's you're absolutely right. You know, the number of times when I would sort of you know, raised some of these thoughts earlier in lockdown before I naively discovered that you end up getting you know sort of sort of a lot of enemy a lot of friendly fire coming your way yeah you do this. So I've probably caused myself all kinds of problems on this on this podcast but in which case by the way I'm not really Andy Bannister I'm really Michael Lotz's <laughs> uh, identical twin uh, brother Derek we're going to uh, change uh, the name uh, of Solas there is no Solas there never was Um, very seriously I think a lot of people through Romans 13 but Romans 13 Romans 13 a couple of things interested me there firstly of course romans 13 is not the only thing that mm. scripture says about the ch- about christians and the state or the people of god and the state you know moses is a great example that you might think of daniel mm. uh for example you know where the where the king quite blatantly puts an edict out saying you know you must not pray to anybody other than me for mm. 30 days whatever it was and to go i mean you can't really sort of wriggle around that mm. and uh and lo and behold, what does Daniel do? He goes into his room and opens through, by the, by the window and mm-hmm. prays towards Jerusalem and ignores the state. So there's that example. You have the early Christians, you know, who it's told by the authority, stop preaching in this name, stop yes. it. Okay. And they go, that. um, and then of course comes through to revelation where the where the where the, where the, where the, where the, where the, where the, state where the Roman empire is portrayed as a sort of demonic beast, according to, to many interpretations. Mm-hmm. And so, You know, let's be careful. Scripture offers us a range of models because there's a different way. There's different ways and different times and seasons with the state is the first thing. And then secondly, even if you just took a narrow band view and took Romans 13, we live in a modern, liberal, secular democracy here in the UK. And that democracy functions on a a number of pillars. It functions on the pillars of citizens actually being involved and making their voices Known that is mm. actually sort of part of our informal constitution. Mm. So actually, in one sense, if we don't protest and say no, we disagree strongly. Mm. You are not actually obeying the mm. state; you are being a bad citizen. Yeah. And also, of course, you know, governments. When it comes to elections, the incumbent government would love you to vote for them. And if you ask Boris mm. Johnson next time the <laughs> election comes around, you're like I'd really would rather you vote for me. <laughs> um, and to go. But presumably the Christian response is not to go, oh, yes, the prime minister has asked me to vote for him again. So I shall. Uh, I don't know which voice that's supposed to be. I just felt the need to do voices. Um, (laughs) The right thing to do there would be to say to the prime minister, no, go jump. Um, Actually, I'm going to vote for who I want to vote for and who I feel I should vote for, because that's my duty as a citizen. And so protesting and disagreeing and voting against. are part of what it means to live out Romans thirteen mm-hmm. in a country like the UK. Yeah. Yes, we respect. Yes, we pray for our, our leaders. Yes, we don't, you know, actively go and break the law or, or those kind of things. I think that I think there are there are responsibilities that come with being a good Christian citizen. Mm-hmm. But certainly, yeah, protesting, voting against, mm-hmm. making our voices known, not just rolling over and becoming the government's doormat. Mm. Absolutely. And, and that point was something I made to someone recently. They were basically
2: saying, you know, I'm not sure you should um, have uh, have set, posted that critical thing about a certain decision that the government had made, as if, you know, being critical of the government in any way, shape or form is, you know, going against Romans 13 and, you know, being a bad Christian. Um, and, and actually, as, as you say, you know, if, if that was the case, we would never be able to vote against the ruling party. We would always have to just re-elect them into power and <laughs> live under a dictatorship. Mm. So the very fact that we can critique and we can, yeah, where appropriate, um, challenge is part of being a good citizen, um, part of living out our Christian commitments. Mm. Um, uh, but obviously we want to do that in the right way. It doesn't mean we don't pray for our leaders. Of course, we're commanded to, and, and we do. But you can both pray for your leaders and think they're profoundly wrong in some of the decisions that they're making at the same time. Like they're not mutually exclusive things. Like um, we're still to pray, um, but it doesn't mean that we endorse or agree and we can sometimes protest.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's right. And that picks up on the point that uh, Andy was mentioning earlier about the, the very preaching of the gospel itself is going mm. to cause trouble at some point. Mm. Um, and I think it's re- it's really important to not be, um, I-, I was preaching on this in a sermon last year to say that we off- we don't want to go looking for trouble but in being trying to be salt and light, what does it mean to be salty? Um, mm-hmm. We often take the kind of easier, modest, supposedly modest, humble approach when really we're often giving up our proclamation, which mm-hmm. the apostles were perfectly happy to get in trouble to do. They, they were writing their letters from prison telling you mm-hmm. to be good citizens. <laughs> it mm-hmm. should tell you. Uh, tell you something about the paradox that's involved there so often we just read that you go so paul you're telling me that must be peaceable i mustn't cause trouble mustn't get okay that's because the christians at that time are being called every name under the sun being slandered to high Mm -hmm. heaven and actually all they've been doing is loving one another preaching the gospel seeing people heal seeing the spirit move and that's what's getting them in trouble because they're proclaiming a lord who isn't caesar and i think we, we often read that and go right okay we mustn't ever ask questions as you've both been uh, mentioning um, but actually clearly they were happy to to cause the right kinds of trouble they knew what would get them in trouble and they didn't stop doing it when they knew it would get them in prison and then when they were in prison they just used other means of preaching the gospel there too um, so we've definitely lost something of the edge in, in that and I think I think you've both been touching on that so far that that is something that's been mm-hmm. highlighted and uh, more uh, more and more in, in in recent sort of times i wonder if we can just move uh, the the discussion onto this issue of what it means to be you've both mentioned politicians and we've mentioned tony blair of course and uh theresa may um what about this notion of britain itself as an example of a quintessential western nation which has had a huge christian influence in it um would you Mm -hmm. say that britain is a christian country is it is it appropriate to use that kind of language and if it is what, what how does that affect how the government goes about its business or how we relate to the government I mean, obviously, we've had prime ministers in recent years often using Christian language. David Cameron was one of the ones in, in recent memory who started using the language of Christian nation again, that we are British, that's part of Britain's identity. Some people had a big problem with that. He was probably using it for political purposes, as have um, subsequent prime ministers. But what meaning does it have to say, we've got protections as a, as the church here for now, um, and other places don't, other Christians in other countries don't have this? So what 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 can we make of that whole um, complex of what it means to have this Christian influence have this Christian influence in mm. the seat of government the heart of government I guess if I'm happy to kick off if you're happy for me to mm. kick off I should say I'm,
2: I'm happy to kick off <laughs> um, we're happy on. that you're happy Aunt Michael yeah we're all happy um, <laughs> yeah I think <laughs> what was I going to say um, yes are we a Christian country in, in a sense I want to say yes and in another sense I want to say no um, like a true politician of course absolutely i could get a new job um i would probably say no in as much as you know we could almost say we're a post-christian culture you know uh, the in terms of how many what proportion of the british population are active practicing christians a much much smaller population uh, proportion than it would have been um uh, so to assuming that basically the general consensus of the british population is bible believing christian well well, not at all um but to flip that round, you know, I also want to say, one of the incredible things about what Christianity has done in Britain is it's so shaped our culture, it's so shaped mm-hmm. our thinking, our mm-hmm. political system, our legal system and so on over the centuries that we are far more Christian than we know. Mm-hmm. So um, so actually we're profoundly Christian often in our outlook. Um, you know, Think about a lot of the kind of social justice movements and the things that we protest about. You know, we only have those because of the influence of Christianity originally. Mm-hmm. Um, those don't think they, those things don't come out of a vacuum it's just that we don't realize and i think tom holland in his book dominion says one of the profound successes of christianity is shown in the fact that actually we're more christian than we know like we 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 kind of represent kind of christian ideas or or thinking without even knowing as christians so so on the one hand i'd say no we're not on the other hand i'd say yes we are but why are we and i'd say we are that because obviously the gospel has had a profound impact in the history of this country Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of shaping people who've then shaped the nation and shape the laws and so on. Mm-hmm. So I guess particularly as an evangelist, I then think, well, actually, if we want to shape our country, obviously I want to protest when unjust laws are enacted or things are done that I think I disagree with. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like as an evangelist, I want to say it's the gospel that has shaped the culture. So if we want to go back to the root, what do we need? We need to see people come to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rather than just, you know protesting against the symptom we need to kind of go back to the root cause and say what's going on here mm. um, and bring people back to the gospel mm.
0: yeah that's really helpful and actually th- th- just to do andy's name dropping for him you mentioned tom mm. holland didn't tom holland do a blurb for your new book andy
1: he 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 absolutely did and um and no blackmail was in was involved which was which was great we had it in reserve we did have some things we were going to lean on but no he he said very nice things. Uh, hmm. about my book, and then I think he also added, Please don't give michael lots my email address. I think
0: that is, like, <laughs> oh, I was just um, about to email him about my new book. I neither of you oh, asked sorry. me to do your blurb, but you know, I won't be too offended by that. I didn't yes, think I sorry, could...
1: you were you, a secondary there, I think, Aaron, of, of great wisdom and significance.
0: Oh, did I cut out? Um, yeah, I was saying you didn't, neither of you asked me, I noticed, to do any blurbs, but you know, I won't be too offended. No,
1: no, no, well, the, yeah, we, the publisher had did, did say. He gave us a list of people we we we, we shouldn't, and 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 you were you were on it. So and you
0: obeyed the authorities unquestioningly, like a good. You know yeah, me. I'm
1: not a maker. I, I always do exactly what I'm told when I'm to, when I'm told. <laughs> Eventually. Excellent.
0: So I was just going to say. Oh, well, before. Yeah, so what? Anything to add on that, Andy? On that? On that stuff that that's come out about Tom? Yeah, just, you know? I mean, I thought Michael Michael covered so much of it. I mean, it, there's a few things I, I
1: did think about as he was. Talk about this. I, I think you're absolutely right. That distinction about uh, about you know what it means to be a Christian country in terms of practicing, but 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 roots. I think the other thing I find interesting is also many politicians. I think don't know what Christian means I think mm. I think Cameron I think didn't really know and you know I think in his mind being a Christian was sort of being a decent kind of person yeah. and living a certain decent kind of life and, and in fact early before that I think you know Gordon Brown tried to sort of you know d- define at one point you know British values and Christian values and it was sort mm. of you know do, do, doing the right thing and, and yeah. fair play and this kind of stuff I'm like well I'm mm. actually not sure those are explicitly mm. Christian kind of values there's something of the gospel in there which reminds me of something important. And I think it feeds into this bigger discussion right now. I think we do sometimes need to be careful as Christians not to get played Mm. by politicians. Yeah. Um, I think we see it more easily. Funnily enough, when we look at American politics, Mm. I think I'm in some ways slightly disturbed at times, the way that some Christians have been played more, I think more obviously by the Republican party, you know, the the view of that. If you are a Christian, you will vote for us. Right. Yeah. Um, The Democrats are not immune from uh, doing it. Um, and we tend to look over there as British Christians and go, well, that'll never happen here. Mm. But actually, you know, we get very excited when David Cameron says we're a Christian country. And, uh, you know, when, 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 you know, that the, the PM throws us a bone in some way that we kind of then come up perhaps a bit too, you know, a bit too quick not to ask the critical um, questions yeah. um, and mm. assume too much. Because I think. I think for me, one of the big questions behind a lot of what we talked about today and what's gone on with the church and the mm-hmm. state and the lockdown uh, scenario is I keep coming back to the thought that, you know, we don't have a theology of resistance mm-hmm. in this country. That's a big issue for me that, yeah. that I often say that to the people, if, when I meet people who say, well, you know, it was the right thing to do to go along with the lockdown kind of closure, where we, you know, mm-hmm. where we started almost half an hour ago, um, to which I always like to respond, go, OK, well, if that's not the point where does the resistance point comes mm-hmm. come and how would we know when we hit it? You know, would it be if Ofsted started wanting to look at that curriculum in Sunday schools that was proposed mm-hmm. not that long ago, would it come with the uh, with a hate crime bill that the, the, S- the SNP, that, that bastion of good governance, mm-hmm. you know, are trying to kind of, you know, ram through here in Scotland, which would have all kinds of quite terrifying mm-hmm. uh, implications. And, and so it goes on. So, you know, but I don't think we've thought about that as Christians. I think we've been a bit sort of sweet-talked into the fact that the state is broadly our friend. We're a Christian country. You know, there's no problem, nothing to see him move along. Yeah. And I actually think the, the, the evidence of history tells us that things can turn very quickly. We're not being persecuted. I'm not going to say we're being persecuted tomorrow, but we are going to find it harder, mm. I think, particularly mm. around some of the stuff around transgender and, mm. and hate speech and those kind of yeah. things, with, with people trying to shut certain voices out of the public square. Yeah. And I think now is the time to figure out you know where are our where are our lines where are where is the here i stand i can do no other yeah. uh, and i slightly
0: worry we haven't had done that thinking yet in many parts of the church yeah no that's really really helpful reflection and they kind of links into uh, something michael was mentioning earlier really about the fundamental need isn't it of Of Christians, people becoming Christians, us being able to keep preaching the gospel and to keep that on the front burner, because that's how you're going to change. That's how Christians change the world by being who they are, by being Christians, not merely Mm. by sort of peppering the landscape a little bit with a few more values taken up by politicians in this or that way. Uh, just uh, before we just, just in, in closing, I guess, another thing you said there that was interesting, which we'll kind of close on that the US UK thing is interesting too, isn't it? That we do often, you're so right, we look across the Atlantic and we see the kind of caricature uh, polemic situation they have. Um, and of course, they have separation of church and state, we have the conflation of, of church and state officially. But We have far fewer Christians, (laughs) Mm ratio-wise, in America, And, and religion plays hardly any significant role in policy in this country compared to in the US. And I think Stephen Fry had said in an interesting debate a few years ago, as an atheist, I actually am for, I, I'm against the, se- the um, disestablishment of the Church of England because it it's good for atheists. It's good for us to have this. Mm-hmm. We don't want the separation because then religion would get into politics too much. So let's keep it together and keep people thinking they're Christian when they're not. And then it'll keep all this silly religion out of out of reality and out of our everyday lives, which I thought was an amusing uh, point to no, make. It's about. fascinating to <laughs> so say that, Aaron, because I remember having a conversation with an um, atheist, in uh, well,
2: I was doing a debate actually with an atheist in Norway, and at the time, they were having this big debate about whether there should be a separation of church and state in in Norway, and um, and actually he was very strong, just like Stephen Fry, saying no, ab- absolutely not. <laughs> he says, you yeah, know, look around the world, look at where the church is weakest; it's where they are associated with political power. Look at where it's strongest; it's actually you know where it's often persecuted. Um, I'm very happy for it to stay that way because it's not going to grow. So I thought I was one of the best arguments. Yeah. It was from an atheist friend.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic, um, mm. and of course, on that lovely closing note, that also helps our um, our listenership in uh, in Norway to grow. You know, we're hoping to kind of grow our Norwegian market, and uh, <laughs> Andy's Andy's book will get translated into Norwegian soon, I hope as well. Um, well that's what the last one has the Norwegian one more thing,
2: Aaron. Yeah, go. Um, no, just um, I'm aware we've we've been chatting for half an hour, but um, I think it's getting the balance right, or not so much the balance, but not slipping into to one of two extremes. I think. One of the dangers we've highlighted today is this kind of danger of not having any theology of the state, basically only reading Romans 13 and thinking that we just have to agree with everything the state does and we can never question it. And I think this has forced us to actually ask questions about that. That's been really, really helpful, hasn't it? Um, What if the church, what if the state isn't being benign in its yeah. motives what if the state is overstepping its mark how do we respond to that that's really important mm-hmm. i think that's interesting because you get some people not the same people normally kind of very different people who then go to the kind of opposite extreme which is they read the most kind of um uh malign kind of motives in states they're very very fearful um they'll kind of read the worst possible kind of motive behind everything that happens mm-hmm. and and they're almost kind of going around the state of panic as if you know christendom is about to fall and everything's going to go wrong. And, and you know, woe well is us. And, and I actually I'm kind of encouraged as I read church history, because I think, you know, how did the gospel first flourish? It flourished in a place where there was no religious freedom, no political freedom, you know, where, where there was very severe persecution at times in the Roman Empire. Uh, but the gospel flourished and it turned the world upside down and massively influenced um, this, you know, the whole Roman Empire. Um, and and look around the world today. You know where is the church growing most rapidly? As we were saying, it's it's not in the places where we've had links with political power. It's in the opposite. It's in places like Iran. It's in places like Algeria and places like Nepal. Mm. Um, so so as I look to the future, on the one hand, for my you know I'm, I'm fearful because I think yeah I can see that the trajectory is a bad one unless the Lord intervenes Mm. but on the other hand I'm kind of encouraged because I think well the gospel does very well in those kind of environments and maybe we need that kind of situation for people to start to see what the true Christianity really looks like as opposed to kind of nominal cultural Christianity Mm -hmm. and so then I get kind of encouraged and I think you know scripture does seem to point towards a future where there is increased persecution and the growth of God's kingdom Mm -hmm. and so let's um, be aware of that. Let's not be blind to those challenges, but also let's just be really excited that you know, the gospel still works, mm. and and we've still got wonderful opportunities. And so let's not be panicked by that, um, and let's continue to hold out the gospel, whatever
0: happens. Mm. Amen. That's mm. on- yeah, wonderful like, I mean, you should, you should consider being an evangelist, Michael. Maybe I should. Yeah. <laughs> um well, um, I, that's all we've got time for really today. But well, I hope that's been helpful to kind of get mm. into some of those issues, kind of raising some of those questions about these key issues and, and reflecting on how we as the church can um, be our, our best self as the church, I guess, in, in relation to the culture in which, which we find ourselves in and, and the pressures that come upon us um, in our different situations. Um, hopefully, who knows, next time we'll even have a name for this thing. Um, but until next time on this podcast currently still unnamed uh, see you next time bye see you next time.